Well, good morning, church. It's a privilege to gather again and to celebrate what God is doing. Uh, we get to celebrate through song, through word, and through communion as we will participate together today. And uh, just thankful for all those who serve so faithfully here at Summit and uh, those that are greeting and preparing coffee and uh, those who are practicing and working up in the booths up behind for the online and working all of this. We just thank you so much. <clears throat> Many years ago, I started to begin to pray scripture prayers. It was uh, something that was new to me. I noticed him when my dad, when I was young, he would, when he would pray that I, 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 would, I would sort of pick up on some of these phrases that I knew that were in the Bible. And uh, so the more I read the scripture, the Bible, the more I noticed what the authors began to pray about and began just slowly experimenting, shaping some of my prayers after those things. Then I had the wonderful joy of having mentors in my life who began to uh, mentor me along and instruct me and challenge me and, and model for me lives of prayer and especially praying the scripture. Um, one of a couple of the, the great pastors uh, like Sundar Christian, when I still just met with him a few weeks ago and just a joy since uh, the late 90s to uh, have him in my life mentoring and challenging me about prayer. Dr. T.V. Thomas, a friend from... Uh, uh, out west, also teaching me and affirming me about prayer at uh, our central eastern Canadian district prayer retreats. We had people speak about this, like Jonathan Graff, who came from the U.S. to teach us about praying. And when I was a part of Arrow Leadership, uh, a deeply godly woman named um, Mary Lance Sisk came and spoke to us for one of our modules out in B.C., uh, and uh, I began to shape and, and challenge me and engage me in this thing called prayer. Um, I've read many books about it, but I just got to say, there's nothing like just doing it. Just, you know, I know lots of people, and I was actually one of them for a while, who had read a lot of books on prayer, but actually didn't translate into actual praying. And so I just say that practice makes perfect, and... It just helps us, especially in this whole practice of praying the scriptures. And uh, over the years, I began to learn to actually pray them verbatim, or at least what is being taught there to shape how and what I pray. And it's almost become second nature. Not that every single prayer I give is a scripture verse. I don't want to deceive you in that way. That's not true. But many of my prayers uh, for people, for the church, for my life, and things like that have been shaped by prayer. And I'm just so thankful. Uh, when I was doing a uh, New Believers, uh, I would take people through New Believers things years ago. John Maxwell had this book called The New Life Study. And one of the things that he inculcated and encouraged in his material was this thing about praying scripture. And he said this, we pray God's will when we pray God's word. And it's really, really true. We pray God's will when we pray God's word. Now, my challenge wasn't that I prayed for too many tiny things. We all do that, don't we? Small things, little, little things. And God cares about the smallest things. My problem was I didn't pray for enough big ones. And 
Praying scripture helps lift me out of some of the small things that I pray about or the scope of my prayers, and it forces me to pray in much larger capacity or, or sort of in bigger terms or for bigger things. And so as I began to learn how that Scripture can shape and stretch my own prayer life, incorporating these statements or principles or verses, uh, I found something happen. It began to give me personal confidence uh, in my praying to know that I was praying God's will, that he will answer them. As 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, and this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know we have that. So we pray God's will when we pray his word. So I, again, began to intentionally try to make many of my prayers more strategic, more biblically infused or shaped, if you will. And generally speaking, i got to admit this, that I believe that my prayers have become more effective than they used to be. And so I just want to encourage you with it. It's not that everything I pray for absolutely always happens. God is God. However, I found that the more, the more wisely I can pray, the more it seems that God begins to answer. And I would dare say that my prayers have been more effective. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't. But we just let the scripture text become part of us and shape our praying. And the net effect when we do it consistently, is this increased sense of God's presence, his working, and stimulating a greater vitality in my own walk, my faith journey. So uh, this series we're embarking on for this month of prayer and fasting is going to be with the intent of just doing that, that it will stimulate you in your walk with Christ. We're entitling it Amen. Uh, Six prayers for vital faith. And you say, well, we got four Sundays. How do you get six? Well, um, what I'm going to do is I unofficially started last week. But, you know, it was New Year's and we had to celebrate that. So last week we began and we took, uh, here's the Amen 6 we're going to be looking at. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12. And we learned as we prayed this and allowed the scripture to shape us that God would enable us to live in a manner worthy Oh, we want that, don't you? In alignment with him. And that God would fulfill every resolve for good, every resolution, every determination, every desire and intention to do good. That God would fulfill that. And every work of faith that we embark on. And we trust that he would do this so that he would be glorified in us and in in an amazing way, us in him. So today we're going to learn the second prayer, the second amen, six, and that is from Ephesians chapter 1, and it's nestled between verses 15 and 23. I'll quickly walk through, well, I'll walk through the text, but I'm going to focus in, this prayer is really found in verses 17 and 18. So let's walk through the text, shall we? For this reason, now... What he's done in the first 14 verses, especially verses 3 to 14, is he has named all of these incredible blessings, all that we have in Christ that the Father has done for us and has given to us. So he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
remembering you in our prayers. You know, starting with thanks and praise is worship and gratitude is very, very appropriate for us. In fact, it gets us into a sort of a good mindset or framework into God's faithful involvement in our lives in a place where we honor him, and that's a good, good position to be in as we go to prayer. On, as Dwayne said on Prayer Summit, one of the other things that we did at Prayer Summit this week that was new is we actually had people share testimony about how, what they were thanking God for and how he was involved in their lives. And as we heard the stories from one another, what God was doing, then we went and prayed and we gave thanks for all that he was doing in our, our lives. Here Paul thanks God for the testimony that he received about this church and the people in it, that they're about their strong faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. And from this heart position, he remembers them often in his prayers, and here's what he prays. Here's the key, verse 17 and 18a. And I remember them in my prayer that God of, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes of your heart enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe? This power is according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all the word of the Lord. This is a powerful passage, and the prayer in particular nestled in the middle of that. Here's what happens. Paul, is, you know, he prays and worships, and then he gives the actual prayer request, and then he shows what this prayer is actually going to produce and what it gives to us. But then he, in typical fashion, it's like he has this like ongoing, nonstop, this, you know, in actuality, this is all one sentence in Greek. Like, it's incredible. He does this from verse 15 through 22 or 23. He just, he just like nonstop. It's like he can't help himself. He just keeps going in praise and worship. So there's two requests that we can ask the Father based on the prayer that Paul gives for their church. Its problem is, is not that God has not made available blessings that he spoke of in chapter, verses 3 to 14. We've all been given these blessings. Every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies has been given to us. The problem for most of us is that we lack the intimacy with God who gives them and the insight to understand these blessings and the wisdom to appropriate them or to make them our own and live into them. So Paul prays for this church in Ephesus. And here's the two things that we can ask for that he does. I'm put them in my words, and then we'll go to the text. He first prays for revelation, that they would know him better. You can pray this. For revelation, to know him better. Do you want to know God better, more fully, more personally, more thoroughly? You can pray this for yourself. And here's what he prays. And here's what you and I can pray. And here's what we can pray for our church. That God, the Father, 
I'm editing here, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him or to know him better. Some of your translations have a spirit, small s, of revelation. And there's, in the original, there's no definite article there, the, so it's actually not necessarily capital S spirit. It's a, a sort of an, a disposition or an attitude that's ready to receive and wisely handle insight about God. Now, the scripture does make it clear that all of that, what we receive from him, comes from the Holy Spirit, not from ourselves. This is why the writers of the version I use, like the ESV and others, say the Spirit. While it says that a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him, or that they would know him better, it actually comes from him, so therefore it makes sense to say the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. The wonderful prayer asks for what we need, wisdom and revelation from the Spirit, to know him more fulsomely, more completely, more authentically. Now, how does this happen? Primarily, the Holy Spirit, if we have this disposition to know God, the Holy Spirit will reveal or give us a revelation primarily from the Word of God. Yes? (laughs) It's New Year's. Sean, we need another lively song. So this is the thing is that primarily, how do we receive revelation for who God is? Primarily through his word. Now, ultimately, the revelation of God came from Jesus. He is the climax, the epitome of how we know Jesus. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He has explained him. God has come in and Jesus manifested, showed, revealed to us what God is like, John chapter 1. Hebrews 1 tells us that long ago, that God spoke to us through the prophets and all of that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son, who is the radiance of God, glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the fullest uh, manifestation or revelation of God. Everything of who he is that's recorded in the scripture, it's how we nowadays mostly receive that is from him, his word. We read about that. So Jesus was spoke, he manifested the life, he did miracles, his life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. He is the fullest manifestation of God. And then every single other book in the New Testament expounds upon, explains, illustrates, or helps us to apply everything of who Jesus is and what we have in him. Jesus is the fullest. But we get to know that through his word. So friends, if you want to know God better, there is this connection. Some of us want to know God so much, but we never build in a practice to consistently meet him in his word. We read not just for information. We read to meet God 
the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, to learn about him, to learn about his life and his ways. Now, we can pray that we'd have the spirit of revelation, that the Holy Spirit would, would open it for us as we meditate, meditate upon the scriptures. The Spirit speaks to us. He teaches us. He reveals. He exalts Christ. He shows us in his word about God. Now, it's not the only way, but it's the primary way. But please understand me that the scripture is our primary way. It's the measuring stick of all the rest that I'm going to say to you. Sometimes he also will give us a spirit of revelation in that he will just speak directly into our spirit. The Holy Spirit can communicate. But whatever he communicates will not be in conflict with his word. If it is, then you need to check whether or not that, that is not. You test it. It's not necessarily from him. But he can speak right into your spirit, into your mind. Sometimes he reveals it through a sermon. You've been in church before, you've listened online, you've watched a podcast or whatever it happens to be, and through that message, God, his Holy Spirit has revealed God to you in some new way or deepened what you already knew. Sometimes he gives it through a spiritual gift of another believer who might have a prophetic word for you or spirit-led reflection on life's experiences. I mean, this happened to me. I'll never forget. I think I shared this at one time recently, but um, I remember when we had our kids. You know, we had our first one, and, uh, well, our second one, Caleb. Uh, we didn't bring our first one home. She passed away, but we, we had Caleb, and then I thought, oh, man, this is awesome. And then Leah was pregnant with another one. Not sure how that happened. But, and, and then Amanda came. And I, I, I was thinking about this before she arrived. How can, I, how can I love two now? And I had this perspective that my love was sort of static. And that I would have to somehow divide it. But then I realized when she came into the world that this multiplication of love in all of its fullness for both of them happened. And then when Dilly came, the same thing occurred. And for the first time, I had a revelation as I thought about that, about God. Every single person who comes to know him, his love doesn't get divided. His love multiplies and is endless for each and every. And that came by revelation of the Spirit as I thought about the experience. Did it line up with Scripture? Yep. So, friends, God communicates, and he'll give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, or a spirit of revelation with the wisdom to understand it. So, two requests we can ask. First, revelation to know him better. Get that? All right. Here's the second thing he asks for in this prayer. I'm going to explain a few words, okay? Please don't get hung up on this. Illumination to appropriate his blessing. Illumination to appropriate his blessing. We need the Spirit to... Do you know what illumine means? It's kind of like to turn a light on. 
but you're in darkness, you can't see, and to turn a light on, it illuminates, or he uses the phrase in this passage, to open our spiritual perception to the truth of God's blessings so that we can understand it and apply it. To appropriate means to apply, to make it our own, and to lean into it and live in the beauty of it. It's not just some distant truth. Actually, we appropriate it by faith, and we lean and live into it. And so Paul continues to instruct us here on why. Here, here's what he says. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Not only does he give revelation, but he opens the eyes. We sang a song years ago about that. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. The heart in the scripture is that the whole being of a person, their mind, spirit, soul, will, all of that, sort of the decision center of who we are. And what he's praying is that the eyes of our inner being would be open, illuminated. Why? So that we may know. And the word he uses for know is not just knowledge here. There's about four or five different words for know in the original. And this one is to know by personal experience. That that truth is not just out there, not just something taught, but it's been inculcated. Love that word. Sorry, it was a new word I learned in the last few years, and I love it. But to, to let it seep into the water table of your inner being and your soul. It's, it's what King David in the Older Testament prayed in the Psalms where he said, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your law. Illuminate the Spirit's work of enlightenment or illumination to turn a light on so you can see. I never saw that before. This is what he's teaching in the church to Corinth. Paul wrote in chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 11, and he culminates it in verse, nine, verse 11 or 12, I mean, when he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit illuminates us. He says that people that don't know God, who don't have the Spirit, they can't understand this the things that God has done for them. But when we trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes within us, and then one of the benefits is not just forgiveness of sin, but the Spirit indwelling. And one of the things he does is he, he illuminates or opens up our understanding to all that we've been given in Christ from the Father. So we can ask two things. What's the first one? Revelation to know him better. What's the second? Illumination to appropriate his blessing. All those things that we read about in verses 3 through 14, but also other things he's going to give right now. Because the, when we pray these things, Paul continues to instruct us on why we need the spirit of wisdom and why we need our eyes enlightened. What are the results of praying this? Here he gives us these are the blessings that God helps us to see, not just all those in front that we just read, but also here's what he said. We pray this prayer for revelation and for illumination so that we would know and understand God better and all of his blessings. We pray this so that we would know in our experience, appropriate, make our own, live into three blessings in particular that he mentions. First one is the hope of his calling. 
This blessing points us to the beginning of our life and all that's laid out in front of us. God has called us into his wonderful story, his plan, his purpose, and he gives us hope in this calling. You read about this in Ephesians 1.18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. We need to understand this, to have revelation about it, to be enlightened to all that he has called. For some Christians, this, is, this has really been a challenge because we grew up in churches where the only thing we were taught about the gospel is that we pray some prayer, get forgiven so we get to heaven when we die. But the gospel is so much more than that. He has called us not to just pray a two-minute prayer and then hopefully get to heaven when we die. He has called us into a life, into a journey, into a, 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 a whole way of living, an experience with him through all of life. It's a calling, and there's hope there. He's called me to come to Jesus and you to come to Christ, receive his forgiveness. Yes, but he's also come, called you into a new life, his way of living, into the kingdom of God. He's called you to holy living, to be free from the dominion, the power of sin, free from spiritual bondage. He's called you into fellowship with the body of Christ through the local church. He's called you to, to suffer for Christ. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's not in vain. And there's great purpose in our suffering because it shapes us and it teaches us. Even Hebrews tells us that even Christ, that even though he was a son, learned obedience through what he suffered during his life. The suffering has a wonderfully redemptive and teaching, uh, character-building aspect to it. So we're called to that. Sometimes we as Christians, when something goes wrong or we enter a tough time, we just can go, what's going on, God? Why? Because we've bought into a system that tells us that we pray a quick prayer, get it to heaven when we die, and all our problems go away in life. And that's just not true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We're called to the assurance that he's never going to leave or forsake us, the confidence that he's going to complete his work in us, that the certain glory that is coming The peace of knowing we're going to be with him in the heavenly dimension when we die and in our future resurrected bodies and in his presence in the new heaven, the new earth. All of this hope came to us with God's calling, the hope to which he has called us. Those he called, he justifies and sanctifies and will glorify. The first blessing is the hope of his calling. This is why we need to understand who God is, and all of the blessing that he gives towards us. Now, the second thing that he helps us to see, the second blessing is the glory of God's inheritance, the glory of God's inheritance. This blessing points to the culmination of our journey, whereas the other one pointed to the beginning. And the culmination of our life in Christ is his glorious inheritance at the second coming into eternity. And these are not meager, they are lavish, they are full, it's full of glory. He says this, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now I want you to hang in here with me. Are you okay out there? Are you doing all right? Our first reaction 
is to think about all that we inherit. But if you really see what's being spoken of in the text, and the original angle makes it even clearer, it's this. It's the riches of whose inheritance? His. His inheritance in the saints. What do you mean? As his inheritance, he receives joy, love, worship, glory, honor. He receives his people. He receives his bride. We will be received into his presence where we are cherished and valued by him, known by him, loved by him, safe and secure for all eternity. It is absolutely mind-boggling to think about this and humbling to consider the value that God places on us that we would be considered his inheritance. It's amazing. Not because we're so deserving, but because he sees us in Christ and he loves us with the love he has for Christ. So the answer to this prayer for enlightenment is we would have a deeper understanding and appreciation of what it means to be God's possession and his cherished inheritance. Oh, that's incredible. Now, having been, or the fact that we are his inheritance, does bestow blessing on us. The first one we see that this blessing is what he receives in his people. But there is another dynamic within that, and that is, secondarily, our inheritance that he bestows upon his people. We have life in him, life forever, life with him. We are God's children, believing Christ followers, heirs with Christ of all that God possesses. Think about that. Co-heirs with Christ. The final inheritance of which the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, and this inheritance which Peter says is imperishable, undefiled, not fading, kept in heaven for you. We experience this unhindered manifestation of God's presence and worship with our whole being. This is what's our inheritance coming because we're his. And we'll experience the power of this transforming vision of seeing the arisen and exalted Christ. And when we do the whole process of sanctification, of making us become more and more of like who we are positionally in him, our experience is going to... And we will be like him in our character, our thinking, and our values. We won't become him. We will be like him. The image of Christ himself. That's going to be amazing. That would be a good place for an amen right there. Yeah, yeah. We will experience perfect fellowship and be free from the effects of sin. All of this is our inheritance because we are Christ's cherished possession. The third thing that by understanding God and all that he has for us will help us to lead, live into is these blessings that we'll, help, we'll see because of this is not just the hope of his calling, not just the glory of his inheritance, but the greatness of his power. The greatness of his power where the 
hope of his calling talks about their beginning and lays it out for us in the beginning of our journey and the glory of inheritance of his inheritance you know is seen from the culmination of all of what we have in Christ. The greatness of his power points us to the present, the interim between these two, and this, he says, is available for the church. Verse 19, he prays that we would know the hope and the riches, and here it is, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, don't think of this in some sort of worldly way of power like our world sees it. True greatness in God's eyes is holiness, servanthood, you know. But it's an enabling within us. He goes on in verse 20 later to talk about that this power is according to the working of his great might. He desires us to know so much of what's available for us. He uses actually four words. According to uh, working of his power, according to the energy of the might of his strength, literally is what it says. His power is towards or for us who believe. There is an enabling, a help a present and available strength for the believer, for the church, and it's yours. And we need to understand, we need Holy Spirit to just give us revelation or open our eyes to fully grasp what we have in him. I was reading this week and uh, Warren Wiersbe was a an old, you know, theologian, back to the Bible guy. He was a great, many, 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 many books. And he was telling an illustration of a, a person who was very famous in the U.S. And he had this incredible art collection. And so he sent one of his uh, employees who was, oversaw all of his art. And he said, I want this picture. Search the world. I don't know where, I don't care where it is. Find it. And so he actually did. He went and found out in the research. Took him a few months, but he came back and he said, "I found it." And uh, this person said, "I for just sorry, I've forgotten his name right now." But anyways, he said to him, "He says, I found it." He says, "Where is it and how much?" And he said, "It's in one of your warehouses, full of art." <laughs> True story. And here's the thing: this was fully available. It was his, and he didn't know or he forgot. Friends, the illuminating work of the Spirit, opening our spiritual eyes so that we can see all that we have in Christ, not just, you know, our calling and our inheritance, but the power that's available to us. We don't trust Him enough. We don't step out in faith enough. We are so earthly bound, we don't open our spirits and, and believe Him for it. This power, he goes on to say in the, in later in this book in chapter 3, I believe, is that that same power that works within us is the same power that the Holy Spirit used to raise Christ from the dead. Like, that's amazing. That's a revelation to us that God has that kind of enabling for us to choose in our choices to do the right thing, to actually work through us so for those who believe God's power, 
The Spirit is made available for us. What are some of these acts? I just kind of briefly just walk through in my mind some of the things that I learned about in the Scripture about the power of God. He gives us power to witness, to share Christ with others. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. We have power to break strongholds and prevail, prevail as a church against the gates of hell. We have power to endure hardship, trials, and persecution. Power to enable us to live in victory over the power of sin in our own lives. Power to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. Power to enable us to obey the word of God and to do what he wants us to do. To work through our spiritual gifts in service to his church. And at times, he, when he chooses to, he gives power to heal bodies, power to deliver people from the control of evil spirits, power to resurrect us from the dead at the end and give us new bodies forever. This power is available and is ours, he said, by the Spirit. We just don't think of that. We don't believe it. So we need a revelation of the Holy Spirit of God that we, with our entire being, will believe it. Two requests we can ask of the Father, that the Spirit reveals things about who God is so we can know him better, revelation. And we pray that the Father, Father through the Spirit, will open the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart, our inner being, giving us illumination so that we can believe, appropriate, live in all that he has for us. And this will help us see what he's given us, the hope of his calling, the greatness of his power, and the glory of his inheritance. But it all starts with praying that God would give us a spirit of revelation, that he would open the eyes of our hearts to be able to understand and apply all that he has for us. He goes on in the passage, if we were to go back and read this after this, uh, he talks about this uh, power that works when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the heavenly places above every power and rule and authority. And he gave him a dominion and the name above every name, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. And here's interesting. So Jesus, on his resurrection, his ascension and enthronement in the kingdom of God right now, in the heavenly realm is head over all things. All of the universe. And God has given to the church the one who has authority over all and has given him to the church to be the head of the church. Think about that. All of that authority, glory, and power is the one. The one who oversees all also is the one who oversees the church. In this passage, he says that Jesus' resurrection and enthronement conquered the two great foes that we have as, as people. Sin, our inability to conquer sin, and death, our inability to conquer death. We are mortal But God in Christ has conquered both. And we want to celebrate that today. He has conquered sin, conquered death. 
He reigns. He rules. He is the head of the church. All that has been given to us in him, we come to celebrate this morning. So, let's worship him.